Before we open up God's word, I'll pray. Father, um, as we prayed before, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, speak to each of us this morning through your word. I do thank you that we can have this time where we can just open up the Bible, where we can um, spend time with you and with your word. And Lord, I just pray that you would teach us all this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be clear, uh, help me to be faithful to your word. And just, um, Lord, I pray that you would speak, speak through me this morning. Lord, I pray that you would teach me and you would teach everybody here, Lord, uh, something of you this morning. And Father, um, we read in this passage that you tested Abraham. And Lord, I've spoken to people this morning who are facing challenging circumstances, challenging times, testing times in their walks with you. And Father, I pray that you would use your word to encourage us. You would use your word to guide us, inspire us, and to help us focus on you as we face the challenges and the tests that are before us in our walks with you, Lord. Amen. So, You've probably heard of uh, the Avengers movies. They're some of the most successful films uh, that have ever been uh, made. They've, they've earned almost more money than any other film franchise. I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but one of the films, uh, Avengers Endgame, this is in the trailer, so if you haven't seen it, I'm not giving anything away, They're, the superheroes are facing off against the big bad, the, the guy who's kind of taken over the universe, and they need to put it right, as they always do in these kind of films. But there's one point in the trailer and in the film where the group of superheroes, the Avengers, make a promise to each other. They are getting ready to go on their mission to rescue the universe, and they slowly put fists into a circle. And Captain America, the, the leader, the big powerful superhero who is in charge puts his fist in and they say whatever it takes whatever it takes to save the universe that's their promise to each other they are going to do whatever it takes to go through with this plan that they've got this 14 million 605 in one chance of rescuing the universe that they have whatever it takes. That there, whatever it takes, is a covenant promise. Imagine if Tony Stark, Iron Man, one of the Avengers, if he said, do you know what? I'm going to give you guys, the rest of you, I'm going to give you six months and half a million dollars. And if we run out of money or run out of time, I'm out of here. I'm not going to save the universe. It's no longer a covenant promise. It's a transaction. God, in Genesis, has made a covenant promise with Abraham. It's not a transaction. It's not God saying, Abraham, 20 years, a bit of this, a bit of that, I'm going to give you 
answers to these promises that I've made you. It's whatever it takes, Abraham. I have made you a promise of a land, of a people, that you will be a blessing to all people through your family that I've promised you, in the land that I've promised you. Now, we see that God, in one of the most dramatic, one of the most theologically important passages of Genesis, is going to test Abraham to see what Abraham's response to this covenant promise is. In Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham that he would give him this land, this people, and that his people and Abraham would become a blessing on the whole world. But now, Abraham has finally had a son. There is finally a family to bring this blessing. The promises are beginning to be fulfilled. But God is going to test Abraham. Without a son, the promises are not going to be fulfilled. But of course, we see in this passage that God tests Abraham to say, what are you going to do with the son who I've given you as part of the promises? So, we open up Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. And it says, after these things. And last week, if you were here, you would have heard Jason talk about some of the things that happened. Abraham is worshipping God. He's in the place that God has promised him. The son through whom the promises are going to come has been given. He's in the promised place with the promised son. And obviously some time has passed since all of those events in Genesis chapter 21. If you read on into 22 and some of the verses that Dara read for us, you'll see that Isaac can question his father. He can question what's happening. He can actually carry the wood that's going to be used to burn the sacrifice that God is commanding. So sometime has happened. And one of the last verses in Genesis 21 says, Abraham is sojourning in the land. And I thought it was brilliant in the uh, psalm that Dara read earlier, Psalm 146, where it said, the Lord watches over the sojourners. The Lord watches over Abraham as he sojourns in this land, as he rests in this land. But listen to what God says to Abraham. God speaks just as he does at the beginning of Genesis in creation. He speaks just as he does when he calls Abraham. And he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and do what? Have a party? Have a great time? No. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Listen again to what God says. Take your son, your only son, who you love. Now, if you've been with us through the story of Genesis, you might remember that Abraham has actually had more than one son. There's been Ishmael, 
who, came, who was born um, via Sarah, Abraham's wife's servant, Hagar. What does God say? Your son, your only son, whom you love. And this echoes the words uh, that are earlier in Genesis chapter 20, verses 3 to 5. Abraham's son, born to him, that Sarah bore. Talking about Isaac as he was born. There is no room here for Abraham to wiggle and wriggle and go and sacrifice Ishmael. This is Isaac, the son of promise that needs to be sacrificed. So this is, this is raw, isn't it? This is really, really raw. This is a painfully real command that God gives to Abraham. And if, if we were reading this as early Jews, when, the, when Genesis was written first and we were reading this, we'd be really shocked, possibly even more shocked than we are now, because we, kind of, we kind of know this story, we hear it and we go, it's, it's kind of a bit shocking, but we know, we know what happens after. But remember, God bans human sacrifice in Leviticus chapter 18. And also, this detail here that you need to know as well. God is saying, take him to the land of Moriah. And later on, in 1 Chronicles, we learn that Moriah is where Jerusalem is built. So there's lots of little details here that we need to kind of think on and remember. But this is, this is raw. This is awful. We're supposed to be shocked to our very core, as God says to Abraham, go and sacrifice the son of promise. This is emotional and theologically raw and awful that God says, take this son who I've given you and offer him as a sacrifice to me. But what does Abraham do? What does Abraham do? Does he ignore what God's asked him to do? Or does he get on and do it? It's amazing, isn't it? If you look at verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He's not hanging around. And he takes Isaac and he takes two young servants with him. There's an agonizing choice here for Abraham to make. Isaac or God? Isaac or God? And as we look at the rest of this passage, we're going to see what drives Abraham to choose to get up early in the morning, to saddle his donkey, and to take Isaac and these two servants to Moriah. But this is, this is immediate and absolute obedience to what God is commanding Abraham to do. It's amazing, isn't it? So we read through it and we think about how awful it is. And Abraham cuts the wood for the burnt offering and goes to the place that God has told him to go to. And they see the place from afar. Look at verse 5. 
Abraham said to his young men, to the servants that he's brought with him and, a and Isaac on this journey, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, I think I've always read that in the past as Abraham kind of trying to reassure the servants and Isaac that it's going to be all right. Like, I'm going to come back. And Isaac will come back as well. But I think I've always read that before in that way and kind of put myself in Abraham's shoes. And I think one of the things that I've realized as I've been studying this week, Abraham is confident that they are both going to return. I don't think he's bluffing here. I think he's believing God's promises so much that he thinks that, Ab that they, he really truly believes they are both going to return, that God is gonna raise Isaac from the dead either figuratively or fully, and that they will return and come again to the servants who are left behind. God will provide, we see him say later on. Verse 8, Abraham says to Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So both of them go together to the place that God has told Abraham and Isaac to go to. And that is also the point of those verses right at the end, verses 20 to 24. Daphne did an amazing job of getting through all of those names uh, in that genealogy. But the point of those verses that seem to be almost tacked on to this story is that God will provide. God will provide. In the middle of them, we see the name Rebecca. And Rebecca is going to be Isaac's wife later on in Genesis. God is providing there the wife for Isaac, just as he provides the, the lamb for the burnt offering that Abraham is believing here. So it's really important that we remember that God will provide. And that's what, that's what they're trying to get across, what's coming across here in this passage. And so Abraham brings Isaac to the place of offering, the place of sacrifice. And they come together to the place that God has told him to, and Abraham builds the altar, and binds Isaac, his son, to lay him on the altar. Which shows that Isaac was willing to go. It's not going to be easy. If Isaac's there carrying this wood up, he's big enough that it's going to be, it wouldn't be difficult for him to resist. He wants to be part of this. He understands the command as much as Abraham does as well. But just as Abraham is ready to strike, just as Abraham is ready to go through with everything that God has asked him to, what happens? The angel of the Lord calls to him. And the, the idea here that that the angel calls, Abraham, Abraham. It's urgent, it's really important that Abraham hears. His name gets called twice, this double calling. Abraham, Abraham. And some commentators would say, this is God speaking. 
and others say it's God speaking through the angel and the angel is a messenger. But listen, the angel says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So God is speaking either directly or through the angel. Haven't you haven't withheld your son from me? And again, uh, God says, you know, it's my voice that you've heard. And so this is really important. God speaking now saying, withhold, stop. And God does provide. He does provide the ram to be sacrificed. But we see here, you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God says to Abraham, I have seen that you are willing to put my call to you above everything else, above every other commitment that you have, above even your emotional attachment to your son who you've waited so many years to see. And God's conclusion about Abraham's actions is that he is justified in having bestowed his promises, his covenant on Abraham and his descendants. And so they sacrifice the ram and they name the place the Lord will provide. And then, again, God speaks either by himself or through the angel and says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham and Isaac then go and return to the servants. But the promises, the covenant, God says, this is now an oath that he has made. I have sworn, I have sworn, says God. And there is nowhere else for God to go except to swear by himself. By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord. This is the most sure promise that God can possibly make. Just as in the, in the covenant that God makes with Abraham, in chapter 15, only God walks through. It's only God who makes that, that part of the covenant. We've seen that Abraham responds, and now the only place that God can e make this promise even surer is by making an oath, swearing by his own name, by himself. Because you have done this, I will grow the people. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. See, this is, 
This is God making another promise to Abraham. It's the same promise reiterated, but now we're getting a little bit more. The nation will grow huge, innumerable. One of the offspring will defeat the enemies, possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In, in the Avengers films, as they put their fists in, as they say, whatever it takes, even for the superheroes, whatever it takes might mean the end of one of their stories, the, the, the life of one of those superheroes. That's what it takes for Abraham here. It was the willingness to offer the life of his son to God. For God, fulfilling this covenant was in sending Jesus into the world. One of Abraham's offspring, one of Abraham's descendants who would possess the gate of his enemies, would destroy and defeat death and sin. Just as the covenant with Abraham, just as this promise that we see here is God's gift to bestow, that only God can give that gift of that promise to Abraham. Only God can fulfill the promises that he has made here. And we see it only in the giving of Jesus. As God provided the child for Abraham in answer to the promises, as God provided the ram in place of Isaac on the mountain here, God provides in Jesus the child at Christmas, the sacrifice at Easter. Not in the place of Isaac that time, but in my place, because I've walked away from God. That Jesus is the Savior. And as Dara talked about the overflowing love between the Trinity, between God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we see in God's giving of Jesus that overflowing, superabundant love that God has for us. And so we can see in this passage a picture of the sacrificial love that God has for us. God did not spare his only son, his son, his only son, who he loves overflowingly, super abundantly. And he didn't spare him because he loves you in the same way that he loves Jesus. Just as Isaac was willing to be bound, Jesus says, let not my will be done, but your will as he goes to the cross. But in doing so, he defeats death and he defeats sin. And just as we see a, a covenant promise here, through that, through that defeat of death and sin, 
Jesus becomes a blessing to all nations, to all of those from wherever you're from who will look to him as their Lord and Savior. God provides a new covenant, a new promise that for those people and those who are his people who recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we will be God's people. God will write his own law on our hearts. God provides the Holy Spirit to do that, to write the law on our hearts, to give us the perseverance to go on, to give us the citizenship in God's kingdom, to mark us as God's people, to wipe clean our rebellion and our sin against God through the death of Jesus on the cross. And what does God want from us in return? He wants us to recognize Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But he also wants us to put our fist in and say, whatever it takes to follow you. And that's hard, isn't it? We, we, we don't want to do that. We don't want to give up our time. We don't want to give up our commitments, our emotional attachments. But God wants us to say, whatever it takes. And so it takes a lot. It takes all of, all of me. That's what God wants. All of me. All of my talents all of my time, all of my commitment to follow him. Am I, am I good at that? Am I perfect at that? By no means. By no means. But God doesn't want us to say six months and 200 euros. He wants us to say all of me and to make that covenant promise to him that we will follow wherever he takes us whatever it takes. So that at the very last day, as we sang before, we can be there singing the song forever to Jesus, the lamb who was slain on the cross in fulfillment of these promises that we see in Genesis 22, that our praise will lift him high and exalt him on that last day in heaven, the king of kings. And we will sing, hopefully with all of you here and thousands, millions of people from across the world and across time, holy, holy, holy forever and ever.